Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. I'll begin reading with verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, uh, again, I would like to point out the contrast here between fruit and works. If you look back at uh, Matthew chapter 7, we have Christ using the term fruit in reference to good fruit and bad fruit. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. We have this, I had this pear tree in our backyard. It's been there ever since we moved here in 1978. And uh, it uh, bore abundant pears. It was a very tall tree. And I was constantly afraid during pear bearing season that when I took out the garbage, one of those pears was going to fall on my head. I even threatened to get a hard hat to take out the garbage because uh, I could just see getting killed by one of those pears coming from the top branch up there. And they were big pears and they were hard pears. But the point is that the pears were worthless. They never ripened. They weren't any good. It was a tree that bore bad fruit. And uh, finally, early this year, it got what was coming to it. <laughs> it got cut down. Uh, and I'm sure if those pears had been good, it would not have been cut down. It's significant in our Galatians passage here that fruit is singular and works is plural. Uh, Vine says that the singular fruit suggests the unity of the character of the Lord as produced in those who are brought into living union 
with Christ. So, and I think that's true. If you look at the, uh, at the fruit of the Spirit here, all of it is harmonious. It's, uh, it all goes together. Uh, according to Vine, this fruit from Christ through the Spirit is in contrast to the plural works of the flesh, which are confused and often mutually antagonistic. I think of Titus 3.3, 3, which is a uh, verse that comes to my mind often. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And I think what Vine says is true, that the the, um, works of the flesh often are confused and and mutually antagonistic. Now you think about adultery. Why do people commit adultery? Well, because a lot of times, because they think they're in love. Oh, they just love each other so much. And yet, out of that grows hatred. And... um, it's one of the works of the flesh. People mistakenly think that it's love, but but intermixed with it is is hatred. Uh, so these things that come from the flesh are the type of things that uh, produce incompatibility and hatred and uh, and terrible antagonism. Uh, in John chapter fifteen. We have a a classic passage on fruit. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So the the point of the, of the uh, passage in Matthew that we read is that fruit is really inevitable. I mean, it's, it's going to come. And the bad tree is going to produce bad fruit. And the good tree is going to produce good fruit. There is a correlation between fruit and the nature of the, of the person producing the fruit. Uh, and that's true. And when we look at the, uh, at the fruit here in Galatians, uh, we see that and we'll be seeing more of this as we look at each individual one, but we see that that this this could only come supernaturally. These fruits of the Spirit are supernatural fruits. And it comes from the regenerated nature that God has placed within the believer. And from the the activity of the Holy Spirit who inhabits every believer. But... Um, uh, the the passage in uh, in John also shows that we need to abide in Christ. We need to 
to uh, cultivate the relationship. We need to be conscious of the relationship. We need to not disturb the relationship so that we might be more fruitful. And when we think about the, the passage in Galatians, why does Paul put it here? If you look at the whole context, he's telling us to walk in the Spirit. He says we have life in the Spirit, but he's also urging us to walk in the Spirit. Let these characteristics, these fruits of the Holy Spirit, or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, uh, characterize your life and the way you walk. So we come to the first fruit of the Spirit. And this may be all that we do tonight. Um, which is love. It's the uh, Greek word uh, agape or agape. And uh, there are a number of ways we can look at the, the meaning of this word love. But um, first of all, we need to consider that this is the word that is used to describe God's attitude toward his own son. Look at John chapter 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. And verse 26, And I have declared it to them, I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So first of all is the, is the attitude within the Trinity of love. And then we see that God had love or loved us while we were still his enemies. Uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 8 verse 8 is uh, is one passage that expresses this. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then God's attitude toward faithful believers. Again, the Gospel of John chapter 14, uh, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So God loves his children. but uh, And he loves his faithful children. As they love him, he loves them. But remember that we love God because he first loved us. And that first love that he had for us was while we were still his enemies, while we were still sinners. And then the, the word is used to describe the attitude that believers have toward their fellow believers. Uh, John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. And then, the attitude of believers toward all men. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. And then, the attitude that believers are to have 
toward their enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, there's a little bit of a distinction here that we need to recognize. Uh, God loved those who were elect while they were still sinners, while they were still enemies. But this passage says that God is good toward everybody. And he disperses good gifts to everyone. And on that basis, this passage says we are to love our enemies. They may never be saved. They uh, may not only be our enemies, but permanent enemies of God. But we're to love them. We're to bless them even though they curse us. Do good to them even though they hate us. Following the example of our Father in heaven who makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. To quote Vine again, Vine says, Love can be known only from the action it prompts. God's love is seen in the gift of His Son. But obviously, this is not the love of complacency or affection. That is, it was not drawn out by any excellency in its objects. It was an exercise of the divine will in deliberate choice made without assignable cause save that which lies in the nature of God Himself. So you see, this this agape love is not a feeling. It's not that God is commanding us to have warm, fuzzy feelings toward our enemies. But it is that we are to choose to love them. And that means you can't hate them at the same time you love them. You have to dispel hate. And that kind of love can only come from the Holy Spirit and from the believer affirming the Holy Spirit's work in his life. Vine continues, Christian love whether exercised toward the brethren or toward men generally, is not an impulse from the feelings. It does not always run with the natural inclinations, nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. Love seeks the welfare of all and works no ill to any. Love seeks opportunity to do good to all men and especially toward them that are of the household of faith. Now, let's move on to joy, the next uh, fruit of the Spirit. The Greek word, (coughs) which is chara, means exactly what the English translation means. I mean, joy is is a perfect translation. It carries the idea of delight and gladness. It is associated with hearing good news. If you look at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verse 6, 
But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Now, the experience of sorrow often prepares people for joy and increases the capacity for joy. Uh, Once again, look at the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 20. Most assuredly, I say to you, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. Great is my boldness of speech toward you, great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort, I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So there was the news that Titus brought them about the Corinthians, which gave Paul great joy. And then uh, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Their uh, liberal giving came out of deep poverty and abundant joy. And then Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated you endured great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven." And then James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And this leads naturally into the fact that persecution for Christ's sake is an occasion for joy. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. We have an explicit commandment in regard to that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, 
For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then we have an example uh, in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now you see how how we're pushed into the uh, position of realizing that these fruits of the Spirit are supernatural. They just don't come naturally. In Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 13, we see that faith increases joy. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So joy and peace comes in believing. And then hope is an occasion for joy. In Romans chapter 5, verse 2, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, we see that the joy of others is an occasion for us also to have joy. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So when we're thinking about fellow believers in Christ um, and... um, I suppose even beyond that, uh, we are to be sympathetic. We are to share in their joy and we are to share in their weeping as well. Okay, we'll stop there. Uh, It's 8.30. Let's have a word of prayer together. Our Father, we thank You for the wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit who produces such marvelous fruit which could never come uh, from fallen humanity in isolation from you. We praise you and thank you for the regeneration of your spirit, for the uh, wonderful truth of the gospel, for the great love which you displayed to us when the Lord Jesus Christ uh, took upon himself uh, our nature and died in the place that we deserve to die in thereby providing uh, a basis for us to have both love and joy and all the other fruit of the Holy Spirit. We praise you and thank you for what you've done for us in Him. We pray your blessing upon us for the remainder of this week. We pray that you'll bless the services this coming Lord's Day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.